When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Monday morning, the 21st of October. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. Members of the British Parliament gave up their Saturday this week with the House of Commons sitting for the first time on a Saturday for 37 years. Dubbed Super Saturday, the Brexit withdrawal deal with the EU was to be voted on to finally deal with the conundrum which has dogged governance in the UK and beyond for more than three years. The Brexit deal was not voted on as it turned out. This was because MPs voted first in favour of an amendment which requires implementing legislation to be passed before the deal can be approved. However, the government says it could look for a vote on the deal today anyway. The Prime Minister has now written asking Europe for an extension as required by law. Mr Johnson also wrote a second letter though in which he said it is quite possible that our friends in the European Union will reject Parliament's request for further delay or not take a decision quickly. In these circumstances, I hope colleagues on all sides of the House will, faced with the choice of our deal or no deal, will support this new deal. But it is clear that Boris Johnson's deal will not enjoy the support of the DUP. Nigel Dodds outlined why when he spoke in Westminster on Saturday. This decision now will give further time for detailed consideration of the bill when it comes forward. It will also give an opportunity to consider in detail whatever amendments come forward. Uh, It has the effect of, of not approving this deal today. And, of course, we will examine all the details of the bill and all amendments in the light of our overriding concern about the constitutional economic integrity of the Union. Nigel Dodds, let's uh, talk about what might happen next with Karen Coleman, who is uh, the editor of Europarl Radio, which reports on the European Parliament for Irish radio stations. Good morning once again, Karen, and thanks for joining us, as always, on the programme today. Mr Johnson's being described as a spoilt brat by the Labour Party because of uh, the two letters, the one asking for an extension, which he, he didn't sign, and the second letter, uh, which argued against granting the extension, which he did sign. Uh, how has it been received in Europe? 
Well, I mean, I think it just looks completely ridiculous, this sort of petulant situation that, you know, as you say, he, he sends off a letter claiming that that's the Parliament's request for the extension to Article 50 and at the same time sends another letter off saying he doesn't believe an extension is actually uh, necessary. Um, but of course, all along, Johnson has said he'd rather, you know, be dead in a ditch than ask for an extension to Article 50. And this was a sort of a smart aleck way of asking for the extension mm. while actually saying he doesn't really want the extension. I mean, I think what's the issue now for EU leaders will be when are they going to get together to discuss this new request for an extension to Article 50. But, Michael, it's still unclear if indeed he will need that extension because he's going to try and if he can win parliamentary backing for the deal again today in a straight yes or no vote. But this may be stopped by the Speaker of the House, John Burkow, who mm. would, you know, he may say you've already had that attempt. And then I think what's going to happen is Johnson is going to try and push the Brexit the legislation, the bill through Parliament. Now, we heard there and Nigel Dodd saying they want to scrutinise the legislation. But, you know, he still may be able to get approval for this deal, in which case maybe he mightn't need an extension. But it is incredibly complicated, the whole mm. process. I was looking through, you know, reports from the UK media analysing it, and it is just very complicated to see what exactly would be the steps that he would proceed with now and what happens if he actually gets the majority, uh, a straight yes or no vote in the House of Commons? Does that mean then that they would be still leaving on the 31st of October? It's just very difficult to be able to see how this is going to pan out over the mm. next week or so. Is that likely that he would get that overall majority? Uh, you've That's uh, lack of support from uh, the DUP and undoubtedly they will continue to oppose it. Well, I mean, the FT today, I was reading, were suggesting he could get a majority. But at the same time, the Labour shadow Brexit secretary, Sir Keir Starmer, was saying yesterday, I think it was to the BBC, that they felt they could get the support of DUP and others to maybe push um, a vote through the House of Commons, that they would vote for the Brexit deal, but only on the basis that there would be a referendum accompanying it. Mm. Um, and so, that would require an extension, wouldn't it? That would automatically require an mm. extension. The other thing is that hasn't really been talked in all of this is the European Parliament has to sign off on this withdrawal agreement as well. Um, you know, that is part of the legislation that they have to agree on that. Now, they're meeting. I'm actually going out to Strasbourg uh, today for their plenary session. They're meeting this week, but they won't be voting on that and their next plenary session won't be until next month. So maybe they might have an emergency sitting. But I mean, it's very difficult to say, Michael, mm. maybe he will be able to pull, push the, the vote through. He will get a majority. Um, but then what happens when they start scrutinising legislation and if they start calling for amendments? I mean, if it, but there were only light amendments, then that probably would be OK. But if they start talking about pulling Northern Ireland or putting all of the UK into a customs union, which has been mooted, then, you know, I would imagine that that, I'm sure the EU would be pleased with that, but mm. that would require the deal, presumably then, to go back to the EU 27. Any major... Well, that's not the deal. Thing. Exactly. That's the thing, isn't it? That would be a change to the deal as it currently exists. That would be my understanding. Again, mm. it is so complicated. 
But I mean, I think, uh, you know, the EU27 will not consider any fundamental changes to the mm. withdrawal agreement. Um, I mean, small ones, they possibly, you know, would be okay. But I don't think any major fundamental changes. And they are sick and mm. tired of this. And that's why... Well, it's know, going around in circles to a large degree, isn't it? Because uh, there was strong opposition, not just from the DUP, but from uh, many Tories to the idea of Brexit, meaning the UK would, to all intents and purposes, remain in the EU customs union. That's why they went back to the Northern Ireland only uh, situation, uh, which is why the DUP is so upset because it's saying uh, that Northern Ireland is being asked to leave in a way that is different than the rest of the UK. So if they go back now, they're uh, in the same position that they were in, that you'll have this opposition to them staying in the customs union uh, and you can't keep going around in circles like that. But uh, if there is to be a, a vote on the basis that it would result in another referendum. I'm reading this morning that that would take five months to prepare and that in a year from now, the UK would continue to be in the European Union. Yeah, I mean, it's just incredible. And I think that's a possible scenario as well. It is just unbelievable. I mean, why? Well, of course, Labour has pushed for a softer Brexit and to try and get this um, the, the UK in the customs union. But uh, like, how, how could you fathom that that would now be passed, that they would actually pass that in the House of Commons, that amendment calling for that, when three times they rejected Theresa May's deal, which was about that. So it's just incredible. And you can see now why maybe the EU27 is hard to believe this is never going to end, that the UK is going to go round in circles and circles. We're going to have Groundhog Day every time they try and pass this bill. And it is actually going to seriously dent progress in just the other normal things that they need to be getting on with within the EU27 club. Um, and, you know, maybe maybe they may grant a short extension now because they just need to get this thing over the line, but that they may not after that. I mean, it is a very big mm. move if the EU27 don't grant an, an, an extension and it means the UK crashes out of the EU without a deal. That's a very significant move to make. So I think they'll be very reluctant to do that. But you do get a sense that this is crazy. The stuff that is going on in the House of Commons is just crazy. They're not able to get a handle on how to manage their their governments, their structure, their their, their country. Um, you know, the only thing may be that they then go for an election. But again, like how long is that going to take and what's going to emerge from all of that? Will one party have the significant majority to be able to push through legislation or will we be back to the same situation again where no one government has the majority and they'll be relying on the likes of the DUP again and they won't get the bill through? I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just an incredible situation. So Boris Johnson said he would never ask Europe for an extension and he's written to Europe and asked for an extension. Uh, we don't know when that will be considered, let alone decided on. But if it is to be given, it would require a meeting of the leaders, an EU council summit, uh, towards the end of the month, would it? Yes, it would. And I, I think now that there may be a meeting pencilled in. Um, Donald Tusk, the European Council President, when he received the letters, he tweeted out that he had, he had, he had received the letters um, and that he would now have to consult with the EU27. I would say, Michael, that, you know, 
they'll obviously be closely watching what happens in the House of Commons this week. Will it be possible for Johnson to push a deal through? I mean, if he gets mm. a majority for in, in one of those votes, then that kind of would signal that he's going to be able to get the deal through. He's going to try and push this through as fast as possible so that, you know, there's no major scrutiny of the actual bill itself so that there won't be a call for a lot of amendments. And then I suppose, you know, I'd say they'll wait to see what happens this week. Um, and if there are signals that he can get the deal through, they may grant a short extension. Um, but of course, what Johnson will be saying is that if he gets the, a meaningful vote passed in the House of Commons today or, you know, the withdrawal um, legislation, just an overall passage of that, then I think he'll be confident enough to say he can leave with a deal by the 31st of October. But look, there's talk of more amendments, a Lequin 2 amendment coming out. Those Remainer MPs will do everything possible to thwart the passage of this bill. And they've been clever in the way that they've been able to engineer these amendments that stall the process. So even if Johnson gets something through, you can't rule out the fact that the Remain MPs will come up with some other tool Mm. to stop it from being passed. And I think maybe at the end, it will be down to the EU27 to say, we've had enough. I mean, we can't continue to have this kind of ridiculous process. We're giving you one more extension and then you're out by then. Um, You know, big step to take, but maybe they'll do that. Mm. Uh, And if we get to the end of this week, let's say, uh, because uh, it's going to be another big week and there'll be a a lot of uh, motions uh, for the MPs uh, to be voting on uh, and as to whether it'll be uh, that question put again or not, whether the Speaker will uh, allow the meaningful vote on uh, the deal today. Uh, There'll be a a number of votes, uh, but if we get to the end of the week and Boris Johnson hasn't got the support for Brexit, what do you think will happen then? Well, who knows? He still potentially could could say that the UK is leaving. But I mean, he's he's legally not supposed to take the UK out of the EU without a deal. I think the most likely probably is he will accept that there has to be an extension to Article 50 until they either get agreement for the withdrawal bill or maybe then finally there's an election called and they go to the country. But, you know, if they have an election are they going to also have a referendum again on this uh, Brexit situation? I mean, who mm. knows? I'd say anything can happen, Michael. He may get the deal passed, in which case they'd be out with a deal by October 31st. Unlikely, but mm. possible. He, he then may be forced definitely to go ahead and, and say, we have to have the extension. It wasn't what I wanted, was what Parliament forced me to do. So they're given an extension. Who knows for how long? In theory, I think the request was to the end of January 2020. But again, it is up to the EU27 to decide whether it's January 2020, whether it's December, at the end of December 2019, whether it's actually a year for them to sort themselves out. The EU27 are the ones who will decide that. So I think it is impossible to predict Mm. what is going to happen with this, precisely because you just never know what other things can happen from the Remain side because they, they're they clever in being able to, as I said, engineer amendments and all sorts of things to scupper, uh, you know, Johnson and the Tories from pushing the deal through. Mm, but whilst there is a, a chance uh, that he'll leave 
based on the deal that he has agreed on behalf of the government, uh, the chances are that uh, that will be rejected because of opposition from the DUP. There is uh, more of a chance that he'll leave uh, with the caveat that there will have to be another referendum and that means uh, they'll probably remain in for another year or there'll be a general election. Any one of those scenarios is potentially possible. Um, and I mean, it's interesting, Keir Starmer, the Brexit, uh, the Labour Brexit uh, shadow secretary, was saying that, you know, he feels, I think, that they can get some vote across the line where uh, they'll reject Johnson's deal, they'll ask for a softer Brexit deal, um, and that there will have to be a confirmatory referendum in a general election or at some stage following all of that. Um, on the other hand, mm. you know, other British reports are saying... Johnson has the numbers to get the deal across the line. So mm. who knows? I mean, I think <laughs> yeah. this, we think every week, every time we talk, Michael, we say this week is definitely the most mm. critical. I mean, Absolutely. but then, yeah. you know, and then we get to that point and look what happened on Saturday. I mean, I was glued to the television. Mm. Well, rugby was on first. So that took precedence. Yeah. But then once the voting started, I was glued to the TV and we were watching it here. And I just couldn't believe it. I mean, just couldn't mm. believe what was happening, the farce that was taking place. So you just, I mean, who knows, you know, who okay. knows what's going to happen. And we'll hear some more experts, uh, excerpts from that debate uh, later in the programme. But we leave it there for the moment, Karen, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us today. Karen Coleman, editor with Europar Radio, which reports on the European Parliament for Irish radio stations. Michael Reed on LMFM. The Northern Ireland uh, Assembly will meet uh, this afternoon for the first time in almost uh, three years. It's because 31 unionist MLAs have uh, signed a petition to recall uh, the Assembly. It's a special sitting and if an executive is not formed as a result of this sitting today, the laws in Northern Ireland will change to allow for abortion and to allow for same-sex marriage. Marriage, and that is the expected outcome. We're joined now by Patter Tobin, who's a TD for Meath West and a leader of the AIN2 party. And you've put a, a petition together, Patter Tobin. You've uh, over 60,000 signatories against the introduction of these laws. Well, no, the, the, first of all, we're uh, opposing the introduction of abortion on demand. And we're also opposing the fact that Westminster is legislating against the wishes of the people of the north of Ireland. Uh, I've been an Irish Republican for, for 21 years, and uh, in that time, a central part of being an Irish Republican is the idea of Irish self-determination, government of the people, by the people. And here we are, we're in a very strange uh, time politically. We know everything seems to be upside down all over the world. But in Ireland, we have a situation where Michelle O'Neill and Mary Lou MacDonald have gone over Westminster and demanded that Westminster legislate against the wishes of the people of the north of Ireland on this issue. And we've uh, put forward a, a petition which is now up to 71,000 people. 10,000 people have signed it since, since this time yesterday. And the petition simply asks that the decision, whatever the decision is on an issue such as this, would be made by the people of the north of Ireland. We know that the polls have shown in the north that the majority of people, both nationalists and unionists, oppose Westminster legislating on this issue. And we know that the majority of women in the north of Ireland oppose Westminster legislating on this issue. But for some reason, uh, Sinn Féin uh, are not going to turn up, they say, to um, the Stormont Assembly today, which I think is shocking because it means that they are individually then responsible for the imposition of this law 
on the people of the north. And people should be aware that this law is far more extreme than even the law in the south of Ireland. And it will have a mass, massive effect because people in the south will, will be able to access this law. And it means that an abortion will be able to be had up to 28 weeks gestation. So that's a, uh, a fully formed individual living human being. And for any reason whatsoever. It even that's means... in line with the rest of the United Kingdom, is it? No, no, not even. It's, it's, and it's, this is a misnomer. It's not the extension of the British law to the North of Ireland. It's simply the deregulation of the law in the North of Ireland completely. So mm. a, um, you'll be able to have an abortion but, on the basis of disability, on the basis of gender. Well, that's not decided. I mean, there's to be a five-month consultation, isn't there? Well, no, because the actual law says that there will, it will be completely uh, deregulated from 12 o'clock tonight. So that a 15-year-old girl, without her parents' knowledge... Will be able to take an, uh, will be able to procure an abortion pill tomorrow, and that will be fully legal. Mm, but that's because the laws as they stand are being repealed from midnight tonight. But new laws uh, allowing for abortion are, are not to be introduced until after the period of consultation, which is to run for five months. No, the the new laws which will then regulate abortion yes. uh, will be introduced in about five months' time. But there is a period of, of time which is basically the Wild West, which, which no law pertains to. So anybody will be able to procure an abortion whatsoever, and there will never be an investigation or, you know, nobody will, will ever be pursued with regards to it. So in the south of Ireland, if a, a woman is having an abortion, she must go to a doctor. There's no provision for any medical involvement at all in the north of Ireland, which, is, again, is, is obviously both dangerous uh, for the unborn child, but it's also dangerous uh, for the mother because there, there can be no doctor involvement uh, whatsoever. So what we're saying very simply, and it goes back for 200 years, mm. Republicans have said that Westminster has no business legislating for Ireland, north or south. And here we are, and we have Sinn Féin carrying out a massive U-turn, a 180 degree U-turn, and they have campaigned, they've demanded, they've lobbied that Westminster impose this regime on the people of the north. Well, well that's an interpretation. Uh, I mean, I think uh, it's a somewhat odd interpretation. Uh, you're saying that it's against the will of the people. I think the other interpretation is uh, that because the Assembly is not sitting, because uh, there isn't a government in Northern Ireland, Sinn Féin has said to the de facto government, which is in Westminster, to legislate <laughs> in line with yeah. the will of the people, because the majority of people in Northern Ireland want abortion to be available. Well, first of all, if you look at the most recent polls, uh, the majority of the people in the North of Ireland oppose Westminster. Westminster, but they don't oppose but abortion. Is, but, but, but what I'm saying is in line with what they're saying. I'm saying let the people of the North of Ireland decide the laws of the, the, the North of Ireland. Why should a person, an MP for Bristol, for Birmingham, for Brighton, determine the law in Belfast against the wishes of the people in Belfast? But Surely it's not the against whole, the wishes the of the people. Of, are, are, of republicanism is that Irish people determine these laws. And, you know, this, I think this is the biggest change within Sinn Féin policy since the split between the official Sinn Féin and the workers' parties. But two-thirds of the people Ireland. in Northern Ireland want abortion to be legal avail- legally available, do they not? Well, well, first of all, if you look at those polls, some of those individuals do want abortion to be made available in the most difficult circumstances. So, so, we're talking so about that's the will of the people. In, two in the thir- it's the will of two-thirds two, of the two people. Three, that's a democracy, isn't it? Two or three percent of the cases. But what we have as of 12 o'clock tomorrow is we have abortion for any reason whatsoever, Michael, up till 28 weeks. 28 weeks is, 
you know, I've had a nephew who was born, you know, but where is that going to happen? 24 where, where, weeks, and fully healthy. Where is that uh, going currently. to happen? Well, well, first of all, there is there are clinics uh, in the north of Ireland currently private clinics who carry abortions out for profit, and these will will won't have any laws regulating their activities whatsoever. So. Um, and, and I know for a fact that there are elected representatives within Sinn Féin who have gone to Mary Lou MacDonald mm. and Michelle O'Neill to tell them how angered they are with regards to this uh, change in direction of that party. And all we're asking, um, Michelle... Well, of course there are, Michelle because, uh, I mean, it's a polarised debate, uh, but the majority of people want abortion to be legally available. But, but uh, and that not, will be the not situation. Cross, we're, not, we're not talking across purposes here. My, mm. What I'm saying to you is the majority of people don't want... Westminster to legislate this abortion regime. It's this abortion regime that we're, that's upon us within 24 hours. And what we're about talking about something mm-hmm. completely different? And what about and, same-sex right marriage? It's not relevant. What about same-sex marriage? Well, I have no problem with same-sex marriage. You have no problem uh, with Westminster legislation? For well, I, I do actually. Oh, I, think okay. West, I don't think Westminster. As an Irish Republican, mm-hmm. I believe Irish people should make Irish laws. I don't believe that Westminster should introduce laws. Uh, against the will are uh, over the heads of Irish people. You can't have a situation, Michael, where you say that I'm an Irish Republican and I oppose Westminster imposing laws that I don't like on mm. Ireland. But actually, if I do like the laws, I think Westminster is fully entitled to legislate for Ireland. So that's, that's, that, that's, not, that's not self-determination. Or so Irish do problem. you believe that there should continue indefinitely to be a ban on same-sex marriage no, in Northern Ireland? No, I believe that Stormont should get us well, yes, but it, and, but but and, that's and, that's and, the same and question. Do their job. Like, so 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 if it doesn't get its act together and do its job, uh, should same-sex marriage uh, if, if, if it continue to be unlawful? Together, what AIM2 has been doing is we've been calling on the southern government and the British government to introduce joint authority. So that means that we would have um, ministers selected by the southern and London governments who would be in those departments, who would make decisions and get stuff going. There are 300,000 people in poverty in the north of Ireland at the moment. 30,000 people received food parcels last year. There are 11,000 people homeless in the north. So as things stand, you don't want same-sex marriage? No, no. What I'm saying to you is as things stand, I want Irish democracy, first and foremost. And Irish democracy has to be the basis of of, of any So as things stand you don't want same-sex marriage uh, because there's no uh, option for introducing it. There is an option. There, first of all, you have... As things stand. ...for a thousand days have been drawing their salaries, have been mm. drawing their expenses, and have been refusing to give representation uh, to the people uh, of the North of Ireland. We have a partner. First of all, AIM2 fully supports the Irish Anglo Act, fully supports it. I, you know... I know, but we're talking about same-sex marriage now. But Sinn Féin is saying that the Irish Language Act is the reason why Stormont hasn't come back together. They did a deal with the, the, the DUP. Well, I think they were also talking about same-sex marriage and, you, uh, and uh, abortion as well as the Cash for Ash scandal. If you look with the, the deal that Sinn Féin did with the DUP, same-sex marriage was not a red line and nor was abortion. The issue was simply the Irish Language Act. Now, if, uh, you know, if, if the Irish language is very important to us as a political party, but it just strikes me as interesting that Michelle O'Neill and Mary Lou, who refuse to actually learn the language to a proficient level, are, are using this as a reason why you, we can't have housing for the 11,000 people who are homeless. We can't have you know, proper jobs for the 300,000 people who okay. are in poverty or the 30,000 people Okay, but, but you, you, you accept uh, that, food par- food that these changes right will take place from midnight tonight? Well, anyway. <laughs> there's, there's no doubt that um, Sinn Féin are the only party in total that are refusing to enter an executive today. Now, they don't have to come to an agreement 
on any of the other issues. All that they have to do is to formulate an, uh, an executive for one day, but and then the Westminster legislation falls, and then it's back to the people of, of, of Ireland to be able to do this uh, and fix and come to a decision okay. in a democratic form. Well, you know that's not going to happen, but do you accept that the laws will change it? Well, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll wait and see, but 71,000 people have, have signed the Aintu petition, which is probably one of the biggest petitions that has, uh, has been created uh, politically in the last number of years in this country. Okay, we leave it there. Thank you indeed for joining us here on the programme this morning. Aintu leader, Padre Tobin, who is a TD for Meath West. Michael Reed on LMFM. The Oireachtas Committee on Key Issues Affecting uh, the Traveller Community will meet uh, tomorrow and uh, discuss uh, the health of uh, travellers. Uh, we're joined by Joan Collins, who's an Independence for Change TD and a, a member of uh, the committee. A very good morning to you and uh, thanks for joining us. It's a, a relatively new committee, I think. Uh, this will be the fourth time uh, that your members will meet. Uh, tell us uh, a little bit about the work that you're doing and what you hope to achieve through the hearings uh, that uh, the committee is holding. Good morning, Michael, and to your listeners as well. Um, yeah, the committee uh, was set up um, following the business committee saying there should be an all-party all joint committee um, to look at um, particularly the areas around um, health, accommodation, um, education, um, uh, jobs, uh, access to jobs, and also, the, the fact that despite the recommendation by the international human rights monitoring bodies, the National Action Plan Against Racism was never renewed. Um, so it's based on human rights um, issue uh, on, on the committee. And we hope to sort of cover all those areas. We mm. finished off the three meetings on mental health um, last week, and now we're going on to health. Then it'll be on to accommodation, access to jobs, and um, the other areas as well. And we're hoping then to compile all that and put forward a recommendation to the government um, to implement what we've heard over those uh, over the period of time. And there are differences between the two communities, aren't they, between the settled community and the traveller community? Uh, I mean, if you talk about mental health, the suicide rate uh, for travellers is said to be six times higher than the general population and seven times higher for men. Yep, and that study was taken in 2010. It was part of um, the All-Ireland... Uh, Traveller and Health Study. Um, but since then, the travelling community have done their own um, sample survey in 2017 where they, the figures have come out really, really uh, a crisis level. 82% of travellers reported having been affected by suicide and 4 in 10 in their wider family. Um, also, uh, many uh, everybody seems to be uh, affected by somebody who has either mental health problems or um, directly by suicide. Mm. And there was... Um, the the last two years in particular was a uh, was a, a very difficult situation for the traveling community, and um, where female deaths have included children as young as fourteen, and um, I think in the last number of months at least thirty deaths by suicide in the period of January to August 2019, uh, and they were registered in Dublin, Cork, Tipperary, Limerick, Wexford. So it seems to be at mm. a very much a crisis point in the traveling community in relation yeah. to. Uh, mental health and suicide. And uh, I think a, a lot of us, unfortunately, uh, but the reality of it is that a, a lot of us do know somebody uh, who has died by suicide, mm-hmm. but those rates far higher, as you say, uh, with travellers. Uh, I was reading about Bridgie Casey, uh, a member of uh, the travelling community, uh, who lost 12 members of her extended family to suicide. Yeah, yeah. And, and this, this has happened, and despite the fact that and there, there, there's, there's been recommendations, there have been committees set up, there's been 
commitment to money has been put into um, uh, travel and mental health and health. Um, and, there's, it's, but, and there's been no development funding has been allocated to travel health since 2008. Um, aside from ones of funding from the dormant accounts, uh, um, there's only nine HSC posts for mental health coordinators for travellers and there's no dedicated traveller mental health budget. So we're questioning why mm. it's not happening. <laughs> all the signs are there, all the evidence is there. Um, so we want to know as a committee all these recommendations and um, 13 recommendations on, um, on, on health and only one of them has been implemented, maybe one or two have started up. Mm. Um, and this is over a nine-year period. So, um, yeah, there, there is huge concern that um, while there's plenty of recommendations and strategies, they're not been, they don't appear to be implemented. There are a few pilot studies that are quite good and um, that show pros- um, good prospects in relation to um, liaison with individually with um, people in the communities as well, outreach, liaison nurses. Um, mm. But that's at a very, very early stage and it's a bit slow after nine years when we knew the crisis um, was in the travelling community in 2010 through that mm. report. And young lives lost, as you say. Uh, four of uh, the 12 members of Bridgie's extended family uh, were young cousins, 15, 16, 19 and 20, mm. and all 12 of them were under the age of 40, apparently. Yeah, it's, it's a devastating um, mm. devastating situation for any family, if the general population mm. or in the travelling community or minorities. But um, well, what's what's... What, but to my mind, though, is that we have, that there has been highlighted since 2010, and yet there seems to be slow progress and not sort of an integrated cro- progress across uh, departments to try and uh, fund it and uh, have, uh, you know, the monitoring committees make sure they've been implemented. Um, and that's to a certain degree what the committee is trying to hone in on and mm. say, well, these are the problems, so how do we, how do we try and address them? Okay. And. Uh, it's not just uh, mental health uh, that uh, is impacting on uh, life expectancy, if you like. Uh, the life expectancy of a, a traveller is the equivalent of uh, the people, the general population uh, of the 1940s. Mm-hmm. Uh, men die on average 15 years earlier, women die on average 11 years earlier, and infant mortality rates are higher than any other cohort. Yeah, it's a bad reflection um, of our society. Um, and, and it comes down to things like education. Um, there was like 87% cut on made to travel education during the austerity years. Huge amount. Um, you see that 15% or 13% of travellers complete secondary education in comparison with 92% of the general population. These are all, you know, we know these are, are realities for the travel community. Um, nearly 40% of travel households have more than one per, more persons in rooms compared to um, 6% of non-traveller uh, households overcrowding, homelessness um, and we look at the, the, the reality is that almost half the travel accommodation budget was given to lo- that was given to local authorities by the government was sent back um, unused in, ni- in 2019 um, and that's happened year on, in- on year so they're, they're, we're trying to get to the nub of the problem here there. Mm. in some areas money's been given but it's not been utilised um, and not been driven by anybody to say this is what we're supposed to be doing and do it and why hasn't it been done and targets um, um, and in some areas it's just not been implemented the strategies that have been agreed mm. 84% unemployment rate yep huge huge um, um, and I know I come from a working class area I went to school in John of God I remember in 1979 there was about three girls went to university 
now you see that change in working class areas where you have much more, right. many more young people going. You, know, you go to university rather than straight to a job now nearly, you know. Um, but for the travelling community, that's a devastating figure. Um, you know, and then all the stigma that comes with that, that you're on social welfare, you're taking handouts, you're this, that and the other, you know, that does have an impact on that mental health figure that you gave there about men um, in the travelling community suffering from mental health and, and committing suicide. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a, a big bridge, isn't there, between uh, the two communities uh, and uh, it, it's uh, whatever it, there is uh, that causes that divide, uh, which leads to a lot of these problems. There is a big bridge, uh, but I think both in the travel community, I mean, the groups I've come into to date into the committee, I mean, I've, I've known a lot of them over the last number of years, but they're very positive. They want to move on. They want to link in with the um, general population. They want to... Um, you know, express their culture and uh, be proud of their culture and they want to uh, be part of the community. One woman particularly on the committee um, uh, Moni, uh, Minnie Connors from Wexford, she's in the Tra- Travellers Development Group there. I mean she gave her testimony as regards how she's treated in the, you know, when you go into shops, when you go into um, health services and um, going to school, bring the kids maybe to school early, they're told to go home and um, so there's there is a big bridge that we have to we have to walk and meet mm-hmm. in the middle of <laughs> yeah. um, to a certain degree. But I think um, also uh, me as a, as a political representative and being in the general population have to play a, an important role in that and, and call to task people that come out with racist comments and stuff like that in relation to the traveling community, um, because that does play into um, how you know they can be travel community can be targeted as being the problem that they're the problem and they have to solve themselves but I think we have to bridge that gap with the general population as well and I know the travel community groups are more than up for um, playing a, a positive role in that Okay, we'll leave it there for the moment uh, your committee will meet uh, tomorrow but uh, thank you indeed for thank joining you. us here on the programme this morning Joan Collins, Independence for Change TD Michael Reed on LMFM. Yeah, let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns uh, joins us with some of uh, the calls and text messages that have been coming to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Michael, and good morning to everybody listening in. John from Drogheda is one of those listeners. He got in touch to say, Michael, we really should never underestimate the DUP. Everyone thought on Friday that they had got their comeuppance from Johnson, but they had the last laugh on Saturday. Who was expecting that, Michael, says John. Okay, (laughs) obviously not John. (laughs) I think a few people might have been, but not John. Okay. Seamus from Dundalk says, there have been so many twists and turns in this Brexit saga that you just don't know what is going to happen mm. next? It really is unbelievable, says Seamus. And it'll be interesting in years to come how it's all viewed in the history books. Yeah, well, history students may find it interesting to do a little bit of study because uh, it is pretty complicated and quirky stuff at the same time. Eileen from Navin says that is she alone in detecting a change in the mood in the UK? She feels there definitely seems to be an appetite 
for another referendum that people have finally seen what this Brexit will do and it has turned the country apart. Mm, well, I, I don't know. Uh, I think there is an appetite certainly amongst uh, some of the politicians. Of course, a lot of the politicians uh, don't want Brexit anyway. I think the mm. vast majority of MPs mm. uh, would prefer to remain in Europe. Uh, but there is this appetite, uh, as she says, for a referendum. I, I don't know how that will play out with the people, but if there is to be another referendum, it could take another five months before people vote again Mm. and it is quite possible that they'll vote against it that they'll vote to leave Mm. mm -hmm. Mairead from Drogheda feels that um, Boris Johnson has some neck sending an unsigned letter to the EU what is he playing at he has to accept that he has to accept the majority in the House of Commons she feels that he is a disgrace it's like throwing his toys out of the pram because he's not getting his own way Alright uh, well he has been called uh, a spoilt brat by uh, the Labour Party and not everybody is happy with Mr Johnson I'm sure he's uh, some strong support in his own party but not everybody uh, especially the DUP as you've been hearing are none too please. We'll hear a little bit more now of what Nigel Dodd said in Westminster on Saturday. Weariness in this House over Brexit should not be an excuse for weakness on Brexit or weakness on the Union. This party has supported respecting the right of the people of the United Kingdom's referendum decision to leave the European Union. We have supported that. We continue to support that, but it must be Brexit for the whole of the United Kingdom, (laughs) leaving the single market and the customs union, if that is what the rest of the UK does, along with the rest of the UK. This deal puts Northern Ireland, yes, in the UK customs union, but applies de facto all the European customs union code. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Read the detail. It also puts us in the VAT regime. It also puts us in the single market regime for a large part of goods and agri-food without any consent up front, contrary to the agreement made in December 2017, which said that only regulatory difference could happen with the consent of the executive and the assembly. It drives a coach and horses through the Belfast Agreement by altering the cross-community consent mechanism. It was once said that no British Prime Minister could ever agree to such terms. And indeed, those who sought the leadership of the Tory party said that at our conference. Will he now abide by that and please reconsider the fact that we must leave as one nation together. There may be special circumstances for Northern Ireland, but that can only be with the consent of the people of Northern Ireland, unionists and nationalists together. That is the basis on which the peace process, the political process, has advanced. He must respect that. Well, Mr Speaker, I I must say that... Well, first of all, I would say I'm... I'm grateful to the Right Honourable Gentleman in, in this sense, that uh, together uh, he and I and, uh, and the rest of his group did make a case powerfully to the EU 
that it was necessary for Northern Ireland to come out of the customs union, which was not, by the way, a point that was uh, accepted by them. And we were successful in that. Insofar as he is critical of the arrangements, and, and uh, by the way, a customs, the, signal, the significant point about a customs union is it is a union that sets its own tariffs, its own duties at the perimeter around that customs union. That is what the whole of the UK will do, including Northern Ireland. And it was not, uh, let's be frank, uh, Mr Speaker, what the uh, European Commission or our European friends uh, thought would be the result of these negotiations. I believe it's a great success uh, for Northern Ireland and uh, for the whole of the country. And the, the arrangements that have made that possible, of course, are temporary and they are determined by consent. And I, I must say, Mr Speaker, in all frankness, I do think it a pity that it is thought necessary for one side or the other in the debate in Northern Ireland to have a veto on those arrangements. All right, uh, that's uh, Boris Johnson, the British Prime Minister, responding uh, to uh, the DUP Deputy Leader, Nigel Dodds, who was obviously none too pleased with Mr Johnson's change in position. He's definitely not meek anyway, Mike. Mm. So he's not, he just keeps adding and adding and adding. Uh, David wants to know, where can Boris go to now, Michael? Could it still be a case that he would let the UK crash out without a deal or is he, will he be allowed to do that, in other words, David mm. wants to know? Um, well, he's asked for the extension. That mm. request uh, is with uh, the European Union, so that's an official British government position. So I suppose the European Union could say, well, we're not going to let you crash out, we'll give you the extension uh, yeah. if, he, if he tries to pursue that. But I, I think the MPs uh, are going to stand firm and make sure that that doesn't happen, at least not for the moment, or at least not until after an election or a referendum or a deal has been agreed. Uh, Tommy says hopes were raised uh, in advance of Saturday, Michael, and then dashed once again by the DUP. Uh, Anne says that the DUP weren't too concerned about the Good Friday Agreement um, when there was talk that there was going to be a hard border. Mm, Well, they weren't too concerned about the Good Friday Agreement when it was being agreed. Uh, the DUP didn't uh, agree to it. Yeah. Well, she was just mm-hmm. referencing, you yeah. know, that the, the, in mm-hmm. relation to the hard border and the fear that there could be a return to the Troubles. Just moving away from Brexit for the moment, and I know we're going to be covering this topic co- uh, later on the show, Michael, just in relation to this uh, controversies that surrounding Fianna Fáil over the voting. Seamus phoned in from Drogheda and he had been listening to Lisa Chambers in an interview earlier and he said that she is getting confused about which seat that she was sitting on in a row and she is the Fianna Fáil spokesperson on Brexit. She can under, understand Brexit, Michael, when most of us haven't got a clue and she's confused about where to sit and which button to press. I feel this is an insult to people. It's like play school. We are talking about experience politicians here and to get confused about where they were sitting just beggars belief. Just hold up your hand if you made a mistake. Well, I, I know, in fairness, I think Lisa Chambers did hold up her hand uh, and say I made a mistake, uh, but uh, he's right in saying that uh, she is uh, the party's spokesperson on Brexit mm. for the moment. Um, Fianna Fáil says another listener uh, could be very sorry Michael that they didn't force a general election sooner now that they have become embroiled in this controversy mm-hmm. it won't do them any good at all I don't think it will 
Um, we then just moving away from that then we had um, Seamus was in touch in relation to the national go slow day that was on Friday yes. mm-hmm. to clamp down on speeding and says that he would love to see this happening more regularly he says that the area that he's living in didn't want to identify the particular area that they have an awful problem with boy racers who think that there's no problem speeding through quite areas where they are living and says that he would like to see more regular checkpoints to combat okay. this. Okay, all right. Yeah, well, it's uh, certainly uh, something that uh, caught the attention of people. The speeds uh, that uh, some of uh, the cars were found to be doing over the weekend, uh, someone driving at over 180 kilometres an hour on the M1 motorway. And uh, as we heard last week, somebody uh, found to be driving at 233 kilometres an hour in a 100k zone uh, in uh, Donegal I think uh, in the last six months Uh, but uh, hopefully uh, those uh, type of initiatives will uh, impact on uh, people's behaviour time will tell thanks for that Marie and uh, thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us if you'd like to add to what's been said as always we'd love to hear from you our telephone number 1850 715 958 Michael Reed on LMFM now Lisa Chambers has said she made a mistake Uh, it seems as though there was no mistake on six different occasions there was no mistake uh, when Niall Collins voted uh, for Timmy Dooley there's a, a lot of questions being asked uh, about the behaviour of uh, Fianna Fáil deputies Thomas Byrne Fianna Fáil TD for me East is with us good morning to you and good morning Michael joining us. have you got questions yourself? Oh absolutely like, yeah. and that's why I think the part you know the Gancorla has launched an investigation into this that's not Fianna Fáil who'll be investigating it internally uh, the party leader obviously has serious questions about it yeah. he's asked the and my two colleagues to step aside immediately pending the outcome of the Count Corps investigation. So Fianna Fáil won't be investigating this. Presumably it'll be public to some extent. Um, and I think that that's, that's, that's what will have to happen and that's where the questions will be answered. Mm-hmm. And I think anyone who has any involvement will have to answer questions in relation to that. OK, including Lisa Chambers? Well... Lisa has given her, I mean, if the Kevin Court asks her questions, absolutely. Like, I mean, she's given her explanation. I mean, her situation seems to be a bit different in that she she did swap seats and realised she was in the wrong seat. And that mm. does happen from time to time in the doll chamber. Like, one could be caught up in conversations, one could be talking to ministers or whatever. That can happen. Uh, and in her case, it did not happen uh, six times, which I suppose is... Mm. Um, the unusual mm. thing to say the least about this particular but, but, situation. But you accept Lisa Chambers made a mistake, it was an honest mistake and I do and, and, and for it, is I, it? Well, mm. I, I, I do accept she made a mistake. It is a pity that it wasn't alerted to the to, the, to our whip on the day mm. uh, and of course in terms of our interview on yesterday as well that it, that wasn't alerted initially but particularly in the Dáil mm. Chamber because mistake. Because she was asked on radio yesterday. Yeah, I didn't hear that interview but yeah. I mean, look, in the first instance that should have been alerted in the Chamber too. Mm. That was a, obviously an error of judgement not making mm. the whip aware. But she was asked directly did she ever vote on behalf of somebody else and she very clearly said no. And the truth was otherwise and she knew that she had voted incorrectly on behalf of Dara Kaliri. Well, I, 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 I can't answer for that. She did get, mm. go in Morning Ireland this morning mm-hmm. so she's been quite mm. open and upfront mm. about this and I'm sure that whatever questions will be asked uh, she will answer them in relation to this but it does appear to be a different situation. Uh, to the other situation that that emerged Mm. uh, on Saturday in the newspapers. Uh, And uh, the other situation would be unconstitutional, wouldn't it? Uh, I mean, there's a constitutional obligation on members to be present when voting. Well, I mean, look, I mean, we are asked to do certain things as as members of the Dáil, and that's to vote in the Dáil Mm. effectively on behalf of our constituents. Uh, Absolutely. Um, So, look, I mean, the Count Corla has ordered a report into this. Uh, Voting in the Dáil, you're right, is a constitutional matter. And the Count Corla's report will... 
will decide what the what the issue what, you know what mm. what the consequences are effectively. But there already have been consequences from Fianna Fáil and that Michal Martin has asked uh, Timmy Dooley and Al Collins to to step aside from the front bench while this is going on, and that is uh, pretty serious uh, punishment at this particular point. Mm. It's very serious punishment. It's very serious for your party, isn't it? Absolutely. This is not the headlines no. I wanted to wake up to on Saturday morning. Absolutely. We're working really, really hard uh, to get into government to show that we are uh, capable of being an alternative government. And quite frankly, this doesn't help. Uh, but I, I sincerely hope that the Cairncourt's investigation will be, uh, obviously, I presume it will be thorough. Um, it will clearly be independent, but that it will be comprehensive as well. Uh, and that if there are other issues and I don't I don't suspect there weren't I mean I couldn't attend the votes myself mm. uh, on Thursday there was a friend of mine who died I was at his funeral it would never in a million years have occurred to me to ask somebody to vote for me and I think that's the experience of, of TDs in Dáil Éireann it does happen from time to time where people sit in the wrong seats I mean there are reports if you look through newspapers over the years you'll find various reports of that mm. generally the count court sorry the whip of your party is alerted and they correct the record um, it, or it can happen that people press the wrong button mm. and that's corrected with the whip as well and mm. um, so that type of thing happens all the time but if as what's being alleged uh, happened here and the Kiancora's report will uh, will will determine that um, and, and clearly six times was 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 a lot uh, on the one day um, I mean clearly there as I say there already have been serious consequences and will be further consequences depending on, on the outcome mm. of that uh, particular report but we have to await that and unlike you know, when issues happened with Fine Gael, they had mm. a secret report there from a senior council that cleared the cabinet minister, Josephine Madigan, Maria Bailey, still in limbo in Fine Gael. We haven't seen that report. Fine Gael did that themselves. We won't be doing it ourselves. We're letting the Oireachtas do it, which is completely independent. Effectively, civil servants will be doing this. Um, and I think that's the best way to handle that particular well, issue. The Oireachtas has opted to take it on in fairness. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, the Corla has announced he's going to yeah, Absolutely. Have this like, and, and, and within you know within 24 hours of this mm. thing appearing in the newspapers and this thing becoming apparent, uh, I think Michal Martin took the action that he did, which to be quite honest, I mean, I think any of us in politics, mm. if, if, if this happened to us, would fully expect that particular mm. phone call uh, from the leader of the party. So what does that mean uh, in terms of how Fianna Fáil represents people in the Dáil? You don't have a spokesperson on communications, uh, well, the environment, and local government, isn't it? That'd be Timmy Tooley's brief. And well, look, I think you know, the, I mean, look, sorry, we're less than twenty-four mm-hmm. hours from when Michal announced that uh, mm-hmm. yesterday. Mm-hmm. So I think there's no doubt that somebody will be appointed to take on that brief mm-hmm. and to take on foreign affairs. That will happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we represent people uh, with distinction in the Dáil. Um, I think this is clearly something that should not have happened. We await the outcome of, mm-hmm. of the investigation, um, and I certainly. I'm more than happy with the way I represent the public in the Dáil, but the public obviously have a choice in that. Mm. The public just ultimately, it doesn't matter what I feel mm. or what you feel. The public, mm. the voters out there, decide as to uh, the way parties represent them or the way parties go from the country. That's a decision they'll have to take. Uh, and what about their role in committees and so on? Well, I mean, it's now twenty past ten on Monday mm. morning. This yeah. is announced on a Sunday, but I mean, clearly, it is the practice for the spokesperson for the particular mm. area to be on the particular committee. I mean, neither mm. of them, as far as I know, is a chairman of a committee mm. or has any particular role in the Oireachtas. So, but I presume whoever takes over as the spokesperson in the area will be sitting on the committees. But that can't be done. That has to be done through a doll uh, motion. And mm. um, so the doll isn't sitting since since yesterday yeah. at lunchtime. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that mm. as soon as clear as night follows day, that will follow. I assume mm. uh, because uh, obviously they're important portfolios and the work that they do is important and really important yeah uh, really important absolutely but I mean I think the leader will, will make decisions in relation to that and I'm not, I'm not privy to his particular thinking on that but obviously obviously somebody will be appointed to fill those two particular roles while this investigation is going on mm. but far from ideal uh, I mean oh absolutely 
I'm not saying this is yeah. ideal at all, but what I, 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 I have to say now, I think Fine Gael now would want to make sure, like, I mean, if they're, if they're you know, going with both barrels on this yeah. and I don't blame them, that's politics. Oh, they are, of course. They, they yeah. want to make yeah, sure. Yeah, they had a they? secret they mm. had a secret inquiry mm. about the Maria Bailey and Josepha mm. Madigan affair. They took, mm. they had no inquiry about the Alan Farrell compensation claim. Uh, there was no inquiry when mm. TDs went off to watch a match where the government lost a vote. Um, and these things happen, you know, the, 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 some are more serious than others. Clearly mm. the compensation claims were very, very serious. But it is a regular occurrence in Don Aaron, mm. that somebody goes in, maybe you're talking to a minister. But there's a big difference, isn't there, in that we don't know the outcome of uh, those reports because they weren't published. We do know. No, but we should know what the, what the outcome of, of, of the Fine Gael internal inquiry was into Maria Bailey, and we should know mm. why they refused to have an inquiry into Alan Farrell's compensation claim as well, but the judge said there was little notation. But we of know that Fianna Fáil, maybe we should know, but we don't know, uh, and we do know that Fianna Fáil TDs acted inappropriately and have to uh, have had to have been well, sacked by your party leader. We, we, yeah, and the party leader can't do much more than that. Oh, and really. I'm not suggesting that he yeah, should do otherwise very, very but that's serious. Yeah, it's uh, very very serious uh, it's mm-hmm, going to be an inquiry mm-hmm, now mm-hmm. or an investigation by the Oireachtas and we'll await the outcome of that but mm-hmm. it, I'm not trying to underplay the seriousness of mm-hmm. this uh, it's not what I want it's not um, what I've done it's not what I mean the idea that this would happen mm-hmm. is news I'd say to almost every TD in the doll. this is not something that happens and what are you hearing about Lisa Chambers' future will she continue well, I mean, look, the party leader makes a decision for all of us. We, mm. we could be all gone in, the, you know, the, the click of a switch. That's the decision for the party leader. And we, we, mm. we are in the public eye. We have to know. I think what she has done, I think she has given, mm. in my view, belatedly, a credible explanation of what happened. Mm. This was not part of a pattern. This was not, Daryl clearly seemed to be mm. in and out of the chamber uh, doing radio interviews, etc., mm. as happens at lunchtime. And I know, but she, look, look, she we're, we're, seemed we're, we're, to inadvertently vote in 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 a different uh, seat uh, and move seat. Yeah, and that does seem to be the case. Yes. Yeah, but I am asking you uh, what your understanding is uh, in terms of how that's going to be dealt with in the party. Uh, will she continue as the party's Brexit spokesperson? It's such an important portfolio. We're all sitting here this morning, scratching our heads, saying, "What's going on? Are, are, are they in? Are they out? Are, are they looking for an extension? Absolutely. What's going on here?" And that's why that's uh, and why people are finding it very difficult to understand. It's important that people are in positions to deal with this yeah, on yeah, behalf I think, of us. I think Lisa is mm. in position. I mean, Lisa was, was on this mm. week, yesterday, North East, she was on Morning Ireland this morning. She hasn't tried uh, to, in any way, um, run away from this mm. particular issue. She has said it was a genuine mistake. It certainly looks uh, like a genuine mistake uh, in the fact that she seemed to realise, and apparently that's on tape, where she moved seat. Now, her mistake was an error of judgement in the mm. doll chamber, not alerting the whip to this. Mm. Um, that's the mistake. Um, and of course, she shouldn't have said yesterday uh, this hadn't happened. But it clearly does look like it was a mistake. Look, all of us are in the hands of the mm. party leader for our particular jobs. All of us are on live television uh, and we do our jobs. Of course. Yeah, uh, yeah, and we have to be aware of that. Uh, and that's one of the points uh, that Lisa Chambers was and making, that uh, you can see from uh, the televised footage uh, what happened, where she was sitting uh, and what happened afterwards and so on. Absolutely. Uh, what about yourself? Have you ever made a mistake? It possibly have over. I mean, mm. certainly, sometimes you would press the the wrong button and then press the the right mm. button or whatever. Like you know, and, and that has happened lots of members over the years. But I can absolutely say, absolutely say that never in my life would I dream, and I missed the votes on Thursday for personal reasons. Would I dream of asking anybody mm. uh, to vote for me or making any arrangement mm. with anyone in relation to that? It can happen that someone is sitting in the wrong seat in the chamber. Mm. That happens all the time. Okay, you could be talking to a minister, the vote comes on more quickly, and you, someone might say. Uh, press my button or you're mm. right beside him. That happens all uh, the time. I suppose you could argue that that's less of a uh, mistake. When, when you're uh, in it's the, less it's serious. It's not a mistake. Of, you're in the chamber. Like, yes, you're there but, to uh, vote. Uh, like. And you've one vote, uh, you know, instead of voting twice, uh, which would have been uh, the case uh, with Niall Collins. He voted twice, six times because he voted yeah, for himself well, I mean, that, and somebody, I mean, else, there, there, some, there, somebody no, who wasn't there's there. There's no ifs or buts, yeah, Michael. That should yeah, not have happened. Yes, yeah. There are no mm, ifs or buts. It should not have happened. 
And that's why the, t- the mm. two, uh, my two And that's why I'm saying that if you're, sitting, if you're sitting in somebody else's chair and you vote once and don't go back to your own chair and vote again, you've only voted once, so there's little or no difference yeah, in terms yeah. of the outcome of the yeah, vote. Yeah, it's yeah, just, yeah. I suppose, look, mm, I mean, mm, people, it's, mm. it's the one opportunity there where every member of the Dáil is or is sitting around, or a huge preponderance mm. of the members are there. It's your chance maybe to talk to ministers, talk to a colleague, mm. you know. Sometimes sometimes during votes you could be negotiating, negotiating with other parties as mm. to whether you're going to support their amendment or not. There could be conversations mm. going on. There's lots of things going on that would mean that you wouldn't necessarily be in your seat. Mm. But um, you're in the chamber. Oh, absolutely, and that's and critical. And, 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 and Michael, let's be honest. Mm. Like, anyone who's been in the Dáil will know this. This is a solemn occasion. There were bells ringing throughout the Dáil for, I think, six minutes. Mm. The doors are then locked so you can't get in. So, I mean, it couldn't be clearer. Like, you're meant to be in the mm. chamber. You are. There is no issue. Are you allowed to press the button for somebody else if they're over in the other side of the room speaking to a minister or something? Can can you vote for them? Uh, Because uh, that seems to have been said now. It it has happened, but generally it would be a case of someone asking you, will you just press, um, you're just Mm. not close enough and maybe the clock is running down for whatever. But that that, that may have happened. Uh, But not the case that you just do it of your own initiative, like, you Mm. know. Mm. But if you were asked to do it, you would do it. If you were asked to do it, you might have a colleague. Well, I mean, I I can't recall any Mm. particular instances, but it does happen. It Uh, does happen where you are talking to other colleagues in, but you are physically in the Dáil Chamber. And you're permitted to do that. That is the practice, yeah. Mm. But it is only where you're physically not sitting in your seat or the clock is running down and you just can't get by people Mm. to to, to vote in your chair because Mm. there can be quite crowds there discussing or whatever, or whatever, whatever Mm. business you're doing with other colleagues at the time. As I said to you before we came on, uh, it, it seems to me that there's a problem with the system. Uh, and like any system, uh, if you can break the rules, the rules will end up being broken. Uh, yeah, you're, you, you make a good point there. And in fairness, you know, we're all for electronic voting. But the reality is, under the old system, where you to walk through a gate, this just couldn't have happened. It mm. could not have happened. And if you were, you know, you, you actually wouldn't run out of time to vote if you're talking to people because it, it, it would go on nearly as long as it took. Um, so that couldn't have happened. I believe in the European Parliament, they have ID cards that you have to stick into the into a slot, like to mm. vote. That's something that could happen. So, so clearly, this has exposed huge flaws, but fundamental flaws, because you're right to raise the constitution. This is a matter of the constitution. We are we are constitutionally obligated to to make decisions mm. in Dáil Éireann. Uh, so it, it definitely the, the system needs to be looked at. But look clearly, the individual situation needs to be looked at first, and that needs to be resolved. And the Count Corley needs to make needs to be allowed to make his report mm. and, and and to investigate this particular situation. Well, there's no doubt Fianna Fáil is damaged by this. It's a question of, of how badly damaged Fianna Fáil is. Uh, if uh, you were a member of Fine Gael or one of the other parties, uh, would you be looking to go to the polls now? Well, I think they'd be very foolish. I mean, I think uh, there's a lot happening. The, the overall interests of this mm. country are dictated really by Brexit. There's yes. a lot happening still with that. So but if they want to go for an election and be reckless about that, okay. they can. But if they want to go to an election as well, where they have a minister mm. in cabinet who advised Maria Bailey on her legal action okay. without having an open report about that, having a secret and report, a where point. she herself, yeah. she no, herself declared point. that she had been cleared by this It's report. a fair point, but it, it's deflective nonetheless. But sorry, I'm... I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, but it, Gale, is, it is a fair point. We have no rock TV constantly on Twitter about everything and Anything, mm. except his job as chairman yeah. of, of an Oireachtas Committee on Housing. You know, that's that's not something he seems mm. to tweet about at all. We have an advertisement for the the National Development Plan there at Kilmoon Cross. Continuously deflective, yes. Yeah, so, sorry, uh, Michael, I have, I've been here for the last 15 minutes answering every question <laughs> well, you've asked me. I know, me. I know, you know that. Every, and you've <laughs> asked me about Fine Gael, will they go to an election? Yeah, I'm telling yeah, you, if yeah. they go for an election, mm, mm. these are the issues that they will face. Yeah. Okay, but Why have they got an ad for the National Development Plan at Kilmoon Cross where hundreds of thousands of cars are stuck there in traffic every morning? It's as if they're it's, it's almost as if they're sneering at people there because 
because people know there's no reality to any works taking place there within the next 10 years. So if we get a Brexit extension, if the UK gets an extension and they decide to have an election or to have a second referendum, which means they'll be at this for another year or so because it'll take five months before that referendum is held uh, and it's expected that it would take a year before they'd leave. Uh, and you were a member of Fine Gael. Under those circumstances, given the trouble that Fianna Fáil is in now, uh, it would be irresistible, wouldn't it? To go well, to I, think, I think, look, they're very foolish. Look, it's a matter for the Taoiseach. If he wants to call an election, he'll call an election. Fianna Fáil is ready. I'm certainly ready. Uh, we have said that it was important to get the budget through. We have done that. We've stuck by our word. We've done what we said we'd do. They have to get the finance bill mm. and the social welfare bill through as well. And we're legally mandated to get the finance bill through uh, as well before Christmas. That has to happen. Do you believe there is or should be a way back for Timmy Dooley and Niall Collins? Look, I'm not going to say anything uh, pending the outcome of the investigation. Absolutely no. I'm going to say nothing about that. There's an investigation going on. That has to happen. And it cannot happen with, with any political interference. It has to happen openly and independently, unlike the Fine Gael inquiry into Maria Bailey, where one of the people involved, uh, Minister Josepha Manikin, was allowed to announce that she had been cleared and nobody had seen the report. Okay. we leave it there. Thank you indeed for coming into us uh, this morning. Fianna Fáil TD for me, East Thomasburg. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, as uh, we mentioned a moment ago, Brexit is uh, an issue of great confusion and uh, as much importance, I suppose, uh, for people this morning. What's going on? It's uh, very difficult, uh, I think, for anybody to call with any amount of certainty. Uh, one of the problems is uh, the weakness of uh, the Labour Party and Jeremy Corbyn as its leader in the UK. Labour polling very early and reluctant to go to a general election. How does that play into how all of this will pan out? Let's talk about it with Labour Party Senator here, Gerald Nash, who's come into the studio with us now. Uh, That's a a fair analysis, isn't it? If Labour were stronger in the UK, uh, we wouldn't be in quite as much of a mess. Well, I think the polls don't lie. Um, there's still a substantial number of percentage points behind uh, what many people would consider, and I'd agree, is probably the worst Conservative government is probably the worst government, in fact, in modern history. Does that uh, mean it's the, the worst Labour Party in history? Because, uh, I mean, logic dictates that what's happening, what the Tories are proposing, uh, how much of a, a buffoon Boris has been, would mean that people would go against the Conservative Party and turn to the opposition, uh, and they're not. One would assume so. Um, we've spoken on many occasions on this programme um, about the fact that many MPs um, in the Labour Party across the water uh, would be representing Leave constituencies but would themselves be instinctively remain. Uh, I've had conversations with many of them arguing that they should make the case to their own constituents for continued membership of the European Union because there's no such thing as a good Brexit for working people, Mm. for people who run businesses, uh, for people who expect a state to protect them. Um, It simply isn't because what Brexit really is is uh, a kind of conspiracy of the right in many ways. Uh, These are people who want to see a bonfire of regulations um, protecting people in terms of labour law, environmental regulation, financial regulation and so on. And that's fundamentally what this is about. And I made the point time and time again that I don't think we'd be in this immigration. Well, absolutely. I mean, unfortunately, and it's some the people, working pl- class people in the UK who don't want immigration. Well, but, but I think you know the, the reality is that um, many people who have seen their living standards um, decline over mm. the last decade under a Tory government and have seen public services being decimated. 
Unfortunately, uh, don't blame the Tory party for the problems that they experience and many people and all the polling and so mm. on and conversations mm. that I've had with people mm. have suggested that they have decided that they would blame uh, immigration mm. uh, rather than, in fact, uh, the austerity policies of, of successive mm. Tory governments. And that, that is sad. But the problem is that I don't think we'd be here in the first case if uh, the Labour Party at leadership level in the UK made the case for the European Union during the Brexit referendum itself mm. back in 2016. Remember, a considerable number of seats in the north of England voted to leave while, against their, their better interests. We've seen you know, major manufacturers like, for example, Nissan in Sunderland, um, mm. uh, Honda in um, Swindon, places like that, decide essentially that they're going to change their business model and look again at remaining in the UK because of Brexit. That's not good for working people, not good for small businesses in the UK. So I think we've seen a shift, though, over the last couple of days in the UK Labour Party's position. Keir Starmer yesterday went further than Jeremy Corbyn ever did and I was quite uh, um, encouraged to see John McDonnell, Emily Thornberry, Keir Starmer and many other people who I admire and many I know uh, addressing uh, the rally in London, uh, the uh, rally of a million people in London on Saturday, making it very clear that they were absolutely pro Remain. We know Keir Starmer is, we know that John McDonnell is, we know that the party this week wants to amend the withdrawal mm. agreement bill legislation to introduce. Um, I'm sceptical about that. Mm. Uh, Jeremy Corbyn has been no, no, sceptic all his political career. Uh, I, 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 I've often said to people uh, who've uh, come in uh, and been interviewed on the programme, there is no wrong answer. You know, uh, tell us what you think. Uh, and if you don't know, say, I don't know. Uh, but you've just given us for the first time what I consider to be the wrong answer because that's a question that you should be able to answer. Uh, people should know where Jeremy Corbyn stands. Yeah, I mean, I was and, at the And I think you'd agree with that. I was, yeah, I was at yeah, the conference, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, I think it was this day, mm. maybe four weeks ago, mm. in fact, where um, two motions were being discussed in relation to Brexit uh, and a national executive motion um, won through uh, with the endorsement of Jeremy Corbyn. A very kind of... Byzantine uh, peculiar position that you know we 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 respect the right of people who who voted leave to see Brexit done, but we're kind of a Remain party, and what we're going to do if we're elected to Number Ten Downing Street is to have a one-day conference to decide what the Labour Party's position is. Uh, yeah, we're Remain, and we want to see a Remain referendum, but we also respect somebody's right, you know, the, the rights of those who, mm-hmm. who who vote vote to leave. Now. This kind of situation that the UK finds itself in calls for um, leadership, not caution. Um, and most people, you know, we're in an extraordinary situation where most members of the Parliamentary Labour Party of the UK, the vast, vast majority, are remain. I think the vast majority of their councillors across the country, or the vast majority of the membership, are remain. But they can't, they, they couldn't seem in the last few months to take that final step towards being an absolute pro-remain party. There's nothing good in Brexit for working people. Thankfully, we've got to the point now where uh, amendments will be introduced this year, this week, to the Withdrawal Agreement Bill, um, which will mean that um, now there's a prospect that mm. the Labour Party could support the bill on the basis that an amendment will be attached, that a referendum will be put to the people mm. uh, on, on this new deal. So we have two options. You support this new deal and these exit terms or you vote to remain. And I think that's a solid position. And that's something that people will clearly understand. But it took too long to get there. Mm. Uh, do you think if Jeremy Corbyn was to stand aside that it would be in his country's national interest? I think Jeremy Corbyn has a right to contest the next election as the democratically elected leader of the Labour Party uh, in the UK. Uh, remember as well, and I was reading a lot about this over the last few weeks, um, people give um, 
Jeremy Corbyn of the Labour Party very little chance of making any gains in the last election. They were quite a distance behind mm. the Tories before the last uh, general election took place and gained considerable ground um, during the contest itself. The difficulty I have is that the very positive things that Jeremy Corbyn says he wants to achieve for the UK it'd be very difficult to achieve those in a post-Brexit scenario where mm. people's living standards will have declined massively, where seven percentage points will be taken off the GDP, uh, the, mm. the wealth of the, of the, the UK. The, the, the Irish Labour Party uh, opposed his leadership bid, did it not? Uh, was no. Pat Rabbit not calling him a pinko and things like that? It's not up to us who... Uh, leads the UK mm. Labour Party I, I would absolutely endorse the kind of things that Jeremy Corbyn is trying mm. to do in fact in discussions that I've had with some people around Jeremy Corbyn they're actually looking at a lot of the things that I did around workers rights and so on mm. and trying mm. to translate those to a British situation which is really really positive what Jeremy Corbyn is trying to do is actually a classic European social democratic type programme mm. there's nothing new but there was in, a, a lot of very strong criticism of Jeremy Corbyn's policies from the Irish Labour Party I don't think it was Jer- Jeremy Corbyn's policies I think it was the modus operandi of some people around Jeremy Corbyn when the British Labour Party was always a very broad church of people. You had people who are one, one, mm. one might be considered the far left, people are social democrats, people are trade unions, people who might be slightly to the right in terms of cert- certain policies. A very, very broad church. And every mm. single leader of the Labour Party since Keir Hardy, when the party was established, managed to bring all of those different um, elements together. Mm. Um, Jeremy Corbyn it seems to have some difficulty in doing that, or at least the people around them mm. have some difficulty in doing that. And that's sad because that may- means that it makes it that more difficult for the party to be united in taking on the Tories. There's far too much emphasis, I think, being placed in the party at the moment on internal wrangling rather than focusing on, on the Tories and focusing on getting the Labour Party uh, into number 10 Downing mm. Street. Okay, uh, I stand corrected, uh, but my memory is uh, that there was a, a lot of criticism of Jeremy Corbyn's policies from people like Pat Rabbit, Eamon Gilmore, and Brendan Helen, if uh, uh, I'm not mistaken. Pat Rabbit and Eamon Gilmore, former um, former ministers of the Labour Party, in fact, weren't even around in 2016 um, when, um, when when the Brexit debate was mm. taking place, and weren't ministers either in 2015 when Jeremy Corbyn took the leadership of the party. Do you believe uh, that there will be a general election now? I do. Mm-hmm. In the UK? Mm-hmm. Yes, I do. Um, sooner rather than later. I mean, I think something's got to give. And an extension has been applied for, uh, begrudgingly, um, but he's required to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Boris Johnson under the Ben Act, a very smart piece of political manoeuvring from our Labour colleague Hilary mm-hmm. Ben, which essentially means that, you know, uh, if, if, if a deal can't be done or if a deal can't get through Parliament, then yeah. an extension has Despite to be... Despite the second letter, applied, the application has been made. The yes, application yeah, has yeah, been yeah, made. Yeah, yeah. That'll be considered mm-hmm. now this week by the... Uh, by 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 the uh, European Union, but uh, I think it's inevitable that over the next few weeks, to break the logjam, there will have to be an election, and somebody will have to come through with a majority. Um, I think that's inevitable. An election or a referendum or both? Well, we could have both. Uh, I think I would we'll probably see an election first. Mm. To be frank. Yeah, you don't think that this deal is going to pass? On its own merit, without uh, without significant amendments, referendum. without yeah, significant yeah, amendments, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But then the prospect of actually the bill passing with the amendments to lead to a referendum are may, mm. maybe limited in themselves because there are some Tories who maybe have gone back into default to support Boris mm. Johnson's re- um, withdrawal agreement uh, who wouldn't support a second referendum. So it is incredibly complex. Mm. We know that anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah, yeah. Um, uh, sometimes uh, when you say something at eleven a.m., it changes entirely by twelve noon or eleven o three. Eleven o three, indeed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah so. uh, but 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 if there is uh, some way of putting Brexit on the back burner, uh, whichever uh, means. Uh, that is, uh, it looks as though it's going to be parked for a while. Uh, do you think there'll be an election here? 
Um, if it's parked for a long period of time, possibly. Um, I can understand why there might be an election. I think um, Leinster House, I mean, when, when, when we're um, down to a position here where, you know, the governing party and their supporters and Fianna Fáil are arguing over, not that it's not serious, the issue about who pressed what button when, then, you know, I think um, the doll looks exhausted. Uh, I think this government is looking exhausted out mm-hmm. of ideas, out of options. Uh, I think the best thing for the country uh, would be if there was a renewed mandate for somebody um, to, to govern the country through what's going to be a very difficult um, period. Uh, I think it would be in the country's interest to have an election sooner okay. rather than later. Having said that, we do need some clarity about what's going to happen with Brexit. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. think anybody would be thanked uh, for entering into an election period during a uh, you know, period of mm-hmm. severe instability. Uh, so if there's some kind of horizon, uh, an extension over a period of months, yeah. then I think the prospect of an election in this country would certainly be on the horizon. Okay, thank you indeed for coming in to us uh, this morning, Labour Party Senator Gerald Nash. Michael Reed on LMFM. With over 10,000 people homeless in uh, this country, there's a, a lot of hard stories. But one story was raised in the doll last week. Uh, the story is Sam's life. Sam is a, a five-year-old boy who was photographed eating his dinner from a sheet on cardboard on the ground in Dublin last week. It's a, a photograph that resonated with a lot of people. And we'll hear what uh, the Tonish to Simon Coveney had to say about it now. No five year old child should be eating their dinner uh, from a piece of cardboard or curry board on the street. Uh, we live in a country that does not accept that and that's why it's being raised in the House today and so it should be. Um, that is why we are spending 163 million euros next year on homeless services. Uh, when I became Housing Minister that was significantly less than 100 million. Um, uh, and ultimately what we need to do here is to ensure uh, that Sam Uh, and little boys like him um, have security, safety, predictability uh, to allow uh, their parents to look after them uh, knowing that they have uh, a safe tenancy or a a home that they can call their own. That is what we are working towards. Uh, And uh, and it makes me angry when I see uh, that that the supports that are there um, are not succeeding in ensuring Uh, that little boys like Sam uh, don't find themselves in the position that they were uh, a few nights ago. Um, And if you look at the progress that we are making, because we are making progress in relation to homelessness... Let's talk about uh, that progress. Saoirse Brady, Head of Legal Policy and Public Affairs with uh, the Children's Rights Alliance is on uh, the line. Good morning, Saoirse, and uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, We cut the clip off there because I I think uh, we've been hearing about uh, the progress from government uh, for a number of years at uh, this stage, uh, but many people have found that uh, there's little evidence of it and people are becoming impatient. Hi, Michael. Um, thanks for uh, having me on this morning. Yes, people are becoming impatient. Um, we know that the government has its policy rebuilding Ireland in place, but clearly the numbers still keep going up. We have almost 4,000 children in homelessness, um, and that doesn't look like it's set to change anytime soon. My, we welcome that there is investment in homeless emergency services um, in the budget to try and protect children like Sam from having to eat on the streets. We need to be putting more money into prevention of homelessness in the first place and we need to be putting money into public housing and into building that housing for families who have little children like Sam so that they Mm. have a place where they can 
call home, they can cook for their children, that they don't have to go to um, a charity who is providing a service on the street to get a home-cooked meal, because that's essentially what happened last week. And it, Sam isn't the only child where this is hap- you know, who this is happening to. There are many other children out there, you know, um, as I said, almost 4,000 children living in emergency accommodation. And those are only the ones that we know about. We know there are other children who are staying with family or friends who might be moving from place to place every night and um, just so that they don't have to go into emergency accommodation. And, you know, food plays such a big part in all of our lives, but particularly for young children and their families. Um, the parents just don't want to, to have to take that step unless they absolutely have to. All right. Uh, And uh, some of uh, those stories are told in uh, the Irish Independent today with uh, some women telling about the hardship uh, that they incur because they are homeless and how that impacts on their children. One of uh, the women, Denise Smith, uh, told the paper about her seven-year-old daughter, Sophia, who is being bullied for being homeless. And she also has a a 12-weeks-old baby, uh, Alana, who was born premature. And she says she's been having seizures as a result and she needs to be housed. she hopes that if she is ever housed, that it'll be near a hospital. Another woman uh, has uh, a six-month-old girl, five children altogether, two boys and three girls. They're all under the age of 10, and both of these women uh, have to go uh, to a um, soup kitchen in order to feed them because they can't afford to do that. And, you know, you're, you're talking there, Michael, about children who are being born into homelessness, and that's just simply not acceptable um, in this day and age. Um, I suppose we have been running our No Child 2020 campaign and one of the big asks for that in terms of homelessness was that the, you know, the law needs to change to take account of children. The face of homelessness has changed. Children now make up one of the biggest cohorts in the homeless population. Yet the law was written for older, middle-aged men, some with addiction issues, um, who would be going into hostels, not for children who need security and they need a place to do their homework they need a place to learn how to crawl to walk you know we hear from members about developmental issues that are happening only last week we heard about um you know children not knowing how to chew because their parents are you know feeding them pureed food from a packet for longer than they should be because it keeps it it keeps longer than fresh food because they have nowhere to store food you know that's just as a society we really need to question that and think um, how we can make this better. And one of the ways we can make it better is by changing the law to ensure that we do what's best for a child. When housing authorities are making a decision about where to place children, they can place them near a school. We've talked before about our homeworks report. Um, we've been on with you before, Michael, talking about that, where we looked at how this crisis is impacting children's education, both preschool, at primary school level, and at secondary school level. And children are falling asleep on the way to school, Children are clamming up and not speaking. They're, um, you know, you mentioned one little girl, they're being bullied. Mm. That is happening. Children won't tell their friends that um, they don't have somewhere to live or somewhere to call home and that they're moving from place to place every night because they're afraid of what that will do to their friendships. Yeah, well, no child likes to be different. Yeah, that it will never repair those friendships. And Um, I suppose it's nature, uh, but children pick on children if they are different as well. They tease and taunt them. Of course they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that 
that that's something that we are seeing though the school, schools are really starting to try and deal with this and um, teachers are going above and beyond and you know but even to the extent where they're having to change um questions that they would ask in class or things they would ask the children to do like draw a picture of your home they can't say that anymore because you can't assume that every child has a home because if you think about it with 4000 children nearly homeless that that could be potentially three children in your class um, who who are living in a hotel or a hostel. So, you know, you don't want to put that child, you don't want to traumatise them further and you don't want to put them in a difficult position. So, you know, they are actually having to change tack. They're also feeding those children. They're putting them to sleep in, during school hours just so that they can, you know, try and catch up and, um, you know, have some kind of way, semblance of normality, really, and be able to catch up with their peers in terms of their education because that's the one thing that really came out of um, the research that we've done in the past is that children find school a place of sanctuary, but they want to learn. They, their parents want them to learn. They want to make sure that they get the education that they deserve and need, um, you know, to keep to keep things together for them, really. Mm, and I suppose seeing things for yourself uh, brings it home to many of us. And uh, I think that's uh, probably what happened with uh, that photograph of little five-year-old Sam last week as it was raised in the doll. We leave it there, though, for the moment. And thank you indeed for joining us here on the programme this morning. That's Saoirse Brady, Head of Legal Policy and Public Affairs with the Children's Rights Alliance and brings our programme to its conclusion today. Our time has run out on us. Remember, there'll be a podcast on lmfm.ie this afternoon. And God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. 
Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.